Hello everyone and welcome. Today we are going to be talking about the current state of mergers and acquisitions in the games industry. There's been a lot of activity over the past couple of years and even more recently. But more interestingly, what do we think will happen moving forward over the next year or so? Starting off 2022, we've already seen a number of blockbuster deals, including Take-Two's acquisition of Chris Petrovic's former company Zynga, and of course the Activision Blizzard acquisition by Microsoft. So today, specifically, we'll speak to, first, a quick review of some of the biggest deals over the past year. Second, what are industry implications of the recent and upcoming potential wave of M&A? And third, what can we expect in 2022 and beyond? And with us today to speak on all of these issues and more are first, Saad Chowdhury, CEO at Hit Game Studio Miniclip. Second, uh, Michael Metzger, partner at investment banking firm Drake Star Partners. And third, Chris Petrovic, chief business officer at the number one publisher in 4X Games, Fun Plus Games. So uh, I thought we could also start with just like a brief intro from each of you. And maybe if you want to say a few words about each of your respective companies, maybe starting with you, Saad. Yeah. Um, hi, I'm Saad. Uh, as you said, I'm the CEO of uh, Miniclip. Um, came into the role probably about oh, close to six months ago now. Um, before when I was on the show, I was a, a chief strategy officer, uh, concentrating mostly on uh, M&A and acquisitions and, and publishing. Um, we've continued to do that pretty well here at Miniclip. Uh, we've acquired eight studios over the last three or four years. Um, all of them have grown um, significantly since our acquisition, so we're very happy about that. And um, we're planning on continuing to do that. Um, but at the same time, we're also um, launching more games and building more games internally and, and, and still focusing on organic growth as, as much as inorganic growth. And uh, yeah, things are going very well at Miniclip. We've had uh, very, very um, strong quarters uh, post the kind of lockdown pandemic stuff, which we were worried about that not being the case, but it, it, it has um, luckily been that way. So, you know, very excited about the future and it's interesting times. That's great to hear. Michael? Hi, I'm Michael Metzger. I'm a partner at Drake Style Partners. It's a global investment banking firm, um, about 100 folks across the US, Europe, Middle East, Asia. And we advise on, on M&A, a lot of sell-side M&A and growth stage financing. Last year has been also a phenomenal year for us with 50, 50 close transactions and worked on a ton of gaming deals and excited what this year is going to bring. All right. And Chris? Yeah, thanks, JK, for having me back. Uh, Chris Petrovich, uh, Chief Business Officer at Fun Plus, uh, as you mentioned, uh, have been here for a little over a year. Um, for those of you that don't know, I like to refer to us as one of the biggest little companies that most people have not heard of. Um, I think by some accounts, uh, analysts have us as one of the largest privately held companies in all of gaming, um, uh, which is quite quite a, a, a great um, uh, company to be in when you think about who some of the other companies are in that space. Um, before here, I was uh, at Zynga for almost five years, uh, the greater part of uh, four and a half to five years, uh, leading corporate strategy and M&A. Um, started in 2016 when Frank joined and was part of the turnaround management team there and uh, participated in most of the transactions, um, uh, starting with uh, the board and card studio of Peak and culminating with Rollick Studios and all the ones in between, which included Graham Games, Small Giant, the rest of Peak Games. Um, and also was, uh, you know, part of the conversation before I left and some of the other verticals and categories that the company ended up moving into. So, um, it's been great to see all those things executed by, by the team there. Uh, and, and obviously the culmination of Zynga finding a home with take two was also a, a good thing to see. Great. So maybe just kicking it off with looking at some of the more recent acquisitions or acquisitions of the past year. Uh, we've had some big ones, as mentioned, Zynga, Activision Blizzard from this year. And so I thought we could start by speaking about how you guys would interpret some of those acquisitions and the potential impact to the industry. And, and maybe starting with Activision Blizzard to Microsoft, from your perspective, how would you guys interpret that acquisition? And what do you think some of the major industry implications are? Maybe starting with you, Saad? Yeah, I mean, look, I think uh, th th there's been a lot of commentary on that um, deal already. I, I think I, mean, I subscribe to the same thing that most of them have mentioned, which is this is clearly a deal 
where Microsoft has acquired the best in class IP and for Game Pass, that's clearly a future that they direction that they want to go down. And having those studios and having that IP be part of that is is clearly going to be very important in the future. Um, the success of probably the Bethesda deal that they had before has probably led them to see that that has, you know, that worked out well. So, you know, might as well double down on that kind of side of it. In terms of King and Mobile, I see that as a bit of an odd thing within the strategy. I mean, they're going to have to consider what happens there. It's interesting to see that there's been some management changes there. I'm sure it's not related, but, you know, it could be as well. Um, but that's the one part of that that transaction which doesn't kind of kind of really fit so far. You know, in Activision Blizzard King, it made sense. But with Microsoft and what they're doing, I actually think it opens them up to some regulatory issues which they might have with Apple and trying to do, you know, streaming on, on mobile devices as well. Um, but I think generally speaking, it's, it, it's, it's a statement of intent, right, by Microsoft. And I think we were all surprised to see it happen. Um, let's, you know, we can talk about valuation all we want. I actually think it's probably a reasonable deal when you actually look at it and to where the 52-week high was versus when they actually pulled the trigger on this. Um, but the implications are, you know, massive, I think, because Activision was one of the big independent ones out there. And um, now we're talking about a handful of other game makers who aren't attached to a platform. You know, at the end of the day, Microsoft is clearly trying to um, become the platform around around this space. And um, this not only underlines it, it gives them a real dominant position. Um, I do think it there will be some implications around how many AAA games will now come out and how much funding there'll be be for other studios to try and do this. I think if you're not part of a major platform now, I'm not sure how you're going to be able to to essentially build those games without that support. Michael or Chris, any thoughts? Yeah, I mean, um, I think it's a great move. Microsoft, you know, was looking at Activision for many years, and at the same time, there's been a lot of rumors about, you know, Activision being acquired by others. Disney was a uh, one people talked about several years ago, and you know it was also fortunate timing from a Microsoft point of view. You know, Activision was trading I think close to a hundred dollars, and they bought it around sixty. So, you know, if you want to buy, this is a great time. And it was also, you know, my understanding was really triggered by by Bobby Kodak looking for you know an exit to some extent. And uh, my understanding is the whole discussion started just days after the Wall Street Journal article came out and uh, Bobby reached out to, to Phil Spencer and the discussion started and uh, I went fairly quickly and it's obviously a massive deal. Um, so I think it was a smart move from the Microsoft side. Right. And Chris, maybe um, a couple other points um, I'd, I'd really like to hear you speak about is I know you have a lot of experience in terms of acquisitions, but when you think about the potential integration issues, or will, will there be a lot of integration between Activision Blizzard and Microsoft, if you could speak on that. And then the other point, I know you guys at FunPlus are very interested and excited about IP and the use of IP. Do you think there's a change in terms of like how much commercialization there is on some of the some of the IP from Blizzard, for example. Do you, any thoughts on that? Yeah. So on the integration point, I, I think you know in these kind of situations where you're buying mature companies that are at such scale and have such established practices already that have led to success, um, there's no need to impart any kind of um, integration uh, other than the bare minimum of what's needed. For example, from a reporting perspective, and I know speaking from experience at Zynga, um, as a public company, you know when we acquired studios or companies. Um, that was where that was our starting point was, hey, you know, as long as we can have a, a clear view into your financials and your audience metrics so that we can accurately report on behalf of all of us as shareholders, that's our minimum requirement. And everything else uh, over time will become a discussion and hopefully an opt in on, on behalf of the company that's been acquired when they see the value and what you offer from your suite of services as, as, a, as an enterprise um, here, you know, uh, because Microsoft uh, has experience running studios. Um, they know exactly what those cultures are like. They know exactly what makes them tick. And they know that uh, that Activision Blizzard comes to the table with a lineage of successful franchises and IP 
that they want to continue um, uh, fostering. And I think going back to the logic for this deal, you know, I think it's really savvy of Microsoft to, to act so quickly because it shows how a big company can be very, very nimble. Uh, you think about what was reported about their interest in TikTok, for example, during the time when there was a threat of divestiture and Microsoft's name was, uh, you know, front and center quite quickly, which you would not have expected. That would have potentially been a, 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 not a fire sale, but a more value-driven acquisition because of, you know, regulatory pressures. Here, you know, the the Microsoft responded to, uh, you know, to a value um, that Michael just uh, described because of where the, the the stock was, given the existential issues that the company was going through. So they had a you know 33% discount on you know from the previous high uh, without even negotiating, right? Um, uh, even though I would argue that they'll never see that 75 billion returned 100%, it almost doesn't matter because, you know, the the, the product management uh, is is around the stock price as a public company, right? So it's all about accretiveness of, of value, uh, more so than thinking about individual games. And in this particular situation, the our arbitrage here was quite quite accretive. Um, and I, I do think that they will just let Activision and, and Blizzard continue to do their thing, and to the certain extent, King. To what Saad said earlier about the, the the regulatory issues, you know, King becomes such a small part of this equation now for the collective enterprise that I don't know that regulators in the U.S. are going to single out the mobile the mobile part of this acquisition as something that is going to make or break. I think it's going to be around platform exclusivity. It's going to be around pricing. Those are the things that they're going to anchor on. Um, I think the question is whether King, uh, as a standalone business, finds uh, that home to be more beneficial or less beneficial to be now part of Microsoft. And then do they do like what AT&T is doing and then peeling out, you know, kind of right. smaller scale businesses, right? Because now King looks a lot smaller scale under Microsoft's lens than it does under Activision's lens um, with a lot less um, collective wisdom around mobile. So, um, you know, Integration will be light, and the IP uh, strategy will continue to be on course without interruption from Microsoft. Uh, is my is my uh, is my belief. Got it. And maybe now talking about Zynga, and I, I know Chris. Maybe, maybe we can like not start with you, so you can. I, I don't know what you can speak about and what you can't speak about, but maybe starting with you, Saad, in terms of what you think the the sort of story synergy narrative is behind um, that acquisition. It'd be great to hear your take on that. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of, it's hard to go first knowing that Chris is uh, on the call. Of God. He's got much more insider knowledge around that. So I'll, I'll, I'll just, you know, I'll, I will take it from an outsider looking in. I mean, you know, we know Take-Two has been looking at mobile for a while, right? They, they acquired Social Point, Two Darts, Nordius. So they've, they've definitely been trying to do things. And I think, you know, clearly management team said Zynga and us being together makes more sense. You saw Zynga starting to move into console as well. They had, they had, they had acquired a, a, a small studio to do something around that. So they were starting to merge into it. Of course, Frank and Bernard, who are great, um, come from that background too um, with their history at EA. So you kind of do start seeing how the cultures start aligning between Take-Two and Zynga, right? And I think that was probably the important part because the reality is Zynga is, I don't think there's much like integration in the same way as, 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 as what other, you know, transactions happen. Zynga clearly will be the mobile operators. Take-Two will continue doing what they're doing very well in the kind of PC console space. And I think that's the divergence we are seeing um in in we've seen in the industry over the last few years you know you're 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 your pc console company which has some add-ons with mobile which are very significant or you are a kind of pure play mobile uh you know free to play first company and now with these transactions what we are seeing is that we are seeing that consolidation in gaming happening where it is well these are just you know these are companies that have content that you know operate in different ways so i think with take two they're probably looking at their kind of peer set in, in Ubi and EA and Activision and going, well, we, we're just light in this area. We're very light. And the transactions we've done have just not moved the needle as we wanted to do. Anyway, in the grand scheme of things, those other those other transactions were pretty subscale compared to their, their, their core business. And this obviously transforms them uh, overnight with that that transaction. So I just think, you know, it's, it's, it's the sum of the parts being much more valuable together as trying to compete themselves. That's that's how I saw it. Um, a phenomenal price, I thought, for Zynga in the end as well. But, I mean, probably justified, definitely justified. Um, 
but yeah, that's that's the outside looking in kind of view. I'm, I'll be very interested to hear what I know. Michael will have some inside knowledge as well, and Chris <laughs> certainly will. Michael, is there a, a banking perspective on this, or uh, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I mean, on a high level, it's to some extent the market is consolidating, right? And you either um, buy somebody, you'll be eaten by somebody else, and take two has made some moves, modest sized moves in the mobile space, but not much. And uh, it's clear mobile is a massive market, which you're, you know, not playing to a significant extent and building it in, in-house takes a very long time. And that just puts them front and center immediately. So I think the diversification was one key driver and just becoming a, a key player in mobile was probably with a, um, two key ones. Um, and I guess a price premium was, you know, a little bit, surprising but at the same time it was to some extent also a little bit of a bargain because singa was trading like at i, I don't remember 11 or 12 and they went all the way down 12 to five, yeah 12 66 yeah, yeah five or six so it's like a 50 percent discount and, and and considering where they were trading over the last six months the premium they paid it actually isn't that high um but i think you know was a great move and it was probably also a great move on the zinga side getting a significant premium and versus continue to operate on a standalone basis. Right. And Chris, it'd be great to hear whatever you can speak about, but the more, you know, the more confidential information, the better. <laughs> maybe, maybe I could also ask you one, uh, one potentially sensitive question, which was that, you know, when you were at Zynga, you were kind of heading up a pretty massive run in terms of M&A over the past, whatever, five years. But it seems like that's where the majority of growth for Zynga was coming. Um, was this actually a good time for Zynga to sell, given that it seemed like they potentially, given you know that M&A story may not have been there as strongly as it was when you were there? Like, Was it a good time for Zynga to sell? What do you mm-hmm. think about that? Yeah, I'll start with that question first, and then I'll go okay. back into the, in, into the, 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 the other one. Um, look, I think it was a good time to sell um, because... You know, like many mobile companies, mobile pure play companies, you know, 2021 showed um, that there was a, a lot of headwind that was created by virtue of what Apple had done um, and that that had no sign of, of changing direction. Um, and if you layer in the, the albeit longer time frame that Google has presented, but an additional layer of bumpiness that will come into our industry over time with Google making these changes, not as dramatic, obviously, because they've committed to doing this more long term. Um, you know the the notion of pure play companies, and it's no it's no surprise by the way that Playtica has re- announced that they're exploring strategic options as well, right? Um, I think if you look at the 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 COVID bump and then the subsequent deflation of that bump by virtue of IDFA, the artificial highs that the market created uh, for the mobile pure plays were not going to be reachable again through organic means anytime in the near future. I think we all can agree that whether it's through UA or through even using licenses that getting organics is just more and more difficult, right? It's been made more difficult. The reality, that is the reality of our industry. So I think there was kind of a, you know, a risk reward calculus about, you know, if I'm at Zynga's shoes, you know, looking at the premium that was being offered relative to my my confidence and my ability to get back to that 52-week high on my own measure in any time in the near future, um, it, you know, it, it, it seemed like a good time. Um, in terms of the the merits of this merger, as Michael alluded to, Great companies talk to each other for a long period of time. And I think that even though the actual mechanics of this deal probably happen quickly, if you read through some of their public filings, the, 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 the getting to know you part has been going on for a long time. Uh, and, and, and that happens irrespective of whether companies like Zynga have a philosophy or a policy of not really being focused on, on M&A discussions in terms of being the acquiree. And, and you know, Frank and team were, were always very clear about that, that we were in a heads down mode operating company, turning it around, getting it back to where it was, you know, in its previous high. And that if things would happen, obviously, as a public, uh, you know, the public company and as a public company CEO, you're, you have a fiduciary obligation in some cases to, uh, you know, take on conversations or if conversations go to a certain extent, you have to turn it over to your board. Um, But as Michael knows, conversations happen up to that point of disclosure all the time between organizations when they're getting to know each other, when they're exchanging high-level notes about what they think about the future of the industry. And I think through those conversations, I can tell you that, you know, I always had a, a, a personal professional admiration for Take-Two as a company. 
And I think it was shared by my fellow executives at Zynga where we felt like, you know, that would be a great company to partner with in some way, shape or form in one day. And they were on a small list of companies that we felt that way about. Um, and so when I saw the news, it was, uh, it was um, perhaps surprising in the sense of how quickly it happened uh, over the holidays. And perhaps as Michael alluded to, maybe the, the price, but at the end of the day, it was not a shock to me that that was the, the, the end outcome. Um, in terms of why Take-Two may have done this, if you look at, again, what I alluded to earlier about how public company CEOs you know, use their filter, their filter is their product and their product is the stock price. And so when, if, if I'm Strauss and if I'm the leadership team at Take-Two and I look at the questions that are presented to me at earnings calls and the questions that are presented at Activision and EA and Ubisoft about your diversification strategy, how much you're investing in, in larger platforms like mobile, and I look at the sum, the sum total of what I've invested in in mobile relative to Activision with the King acquisition, and then EA finally coming off the sidelines and buying Glue and then Playdemic. You know what Ubisoft and Take Two were doing looked really anemic to the public markets, right? Um, and it didn't look very uh, harmonious. Like it was individual studio acquisitions with no kind of central strategy around it, and Zynga not only catapulted Take Two beyond EA and Activision, but also created a beachhead in mobile with a scaled company with accomplished leadership and 12 plus years of experience in free to play and can harmonize their, their acquisitions now under the Zynga, under the Zynga, uh, you know, kind of corporate umbrella and give them a real defensible diversified story that is of a larger scale than Activision and EA. Uh, and will probably give them more credit um, as this notion of cross platform that we all talk about in the industry becomes more and more of a reality. Uh, and, and the walls between, you know, mobile being now included in the conversation cross-platform with you know, with 5G and streaming and, and, you know, the Fortnite effect, as I like to call it, with consumer expectation now rising around any time, anywhere, any device gaming expectations. I think this was a great time and, and a great outcome for them. Um, and again, as, as, the, as Saad and Michael alluded to, for all the success that Frank and team have had in free-to-play mobile, if you look at the totality of their history, their history is actually more in running AAA uh, studios and and projects and marketing. So I think in the aggregate, you have very few leadership teams that have as much experience in both camps um, than, than you can see on the Zynga bench. And I think that's going to serve Take-Two very well, whether that means that Frank maybe becomes the CEO of, 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 of Take-Two at some point, um, perhaps, uh, or, or perhaps not. But um, he's really proven himself um, you know, to be a great CEO of a public company in gaming. Um, even though he didn't get that opportunity at EA, he certainly capitalized on that at Zynga and I think has a lot to to offer to the Take-Two uh, ecosystem. Right. And Chris, when you when you think about some of the the synergies or the additional value that's created by being part of Take-Two, you, you mentioned cross-platform. Do, do you think it's largely around the ability to do more cross-platform stuff and potentially the sharing of audience? Or how would you... How would you describe what the potential additional value from being part of Take Two would look like for Zynga? Yeah, I think the most the most obvious one to me is the the ability to uh, more broadly exploit and take advantage of the commercialization of Take Two's IP. And I know I've heard in in different podcasts and in different um, uh, you know uh, writings on, online about is Zynga the right organization? And, and and I think you have to keep in mind that. When an organization like Zynga or any organization is faced with the opportunity to leverage this IP library that Take Two has, and I, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if they started with some of their smaller ones and then worked their way up to the larger ones. But you can't look at Zynga at this moment in time as to whether or not they have the right people. I'm sure Saad, if he was presented with the similar opportunity, would go out and find the best damn talent that he could find to go after that opportunity. So when people look at our present company and say, "Well, we don't know if the studios are well suited," like that problem can be solved by, by finding that talent and bringing them into the collective. But I think you also have to remember that there's tremendous talent at Take-Two that has stewarded that IP to the point that it is, which IP and story and narrative and character creation and that IP universe is actually a real key importance to doing any cross-platform extension. And then what Zynga knows with the, that is in, you know, uh, devoid or d d d disconnected from any particular genre is how to build free-to-play games and run live services and do do marketing and, and community, and that can apply to any game that's 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 created. And then the the linkage is where you get the key talent that can actually bridge between the Take Two side and the Zynga side to be part of that task force, so to speak, to build these successful games. So I don't worry about whether Zynga, quote unquote, has the right 
studios or talent today because they can certainly fix that as needed in the future, as as Saad would, I'm sure, um, when presented with those kinds of opportunities. So I think those kind of commentaries are too rooted in, in a moment in time as opposed to thinking strategically through the lens of a CEO or, or a business unit lead in terms of how they would think about going after these opportunities. So I think that's where the synergies are. The other incremental one is obviously folding the three studios that you mentioned that Take-Two previously acquired under the Zynga leadership so that they could be part of that, that portfolio and benefit from being part of an ecosystem. So those, to me, are the two main ones. Got it. And I, I thought we could now switch and talk about the current market in terms of supply and demand. And I know on a previous podcast, Chris, you had correctly predicted that we the market would be shifting towards more you know, public company transactions, bigger, bigger types of deals. We're, we're here now. And so acquisitions have gotten bigger. But in terms of how you guys would characterize the M&A market today, and Michael, you mentioned you guys have done a bunch of deals over the past year. Saad, you guys have also done a number of acquisitions. And Chris, you were on that incredible run at Zynga. Are those kinds of deals still possible, kind of looking you know, at where we are today and in, in the future? And again, maybe we start with you, Saad. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, I was just to say, Joe, I mean, the, the reality is what the both of those transactions showed is everything's in play. Like, there's no, there's nothing that's not in play. Um, the, the the chessboard is definitely starting to get towards more of a consolidation endgame scenario before. You know, we've been talking about consolidation for many, many years. I mean, every year we're talking about more consolidation, more consolidation. The reality is it really is happening now when you start bringing the public companies into into the mix. Um, and I think here in, 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 in Europe, there are two or three which are, are quite clearly, um, you know, I say Europe, but, you know, Playtaker has announced it. They've announced that they're looking at these kind of things. Um, we know the others are out there too. And I think it comes down to what is the goal of these management teams and what is the goal of these, you know, of the shareholders of these companies too, because it's not just the management teams as well. It's it's as Chris says, you you know, if you're a management team of these public companies, you have a fiduciary relationship to the company, and essentially what you're trying to do is maximize the the, the returns of that, those shareholders. So everything is in play. I think when we look at the other layer down in terms of the universe of targets around the kind of size of the stuff that Chris was doing. Those are fewer and far between. Those we know are not out there as as, as much as, as they were. The smaller space is definitely there. There's a lot of studios where you can, you know, you know, between one to four million dollars in EBITDA, those those exist. But then it, it comes about, you know, is that gonna move the needle for some of these bigger organizations or even even for us? So you have to figure out a strategy around that. But I, I certainly think that kind of what would be considered the kind of top middle, but like the tier two, tier one kind of opportunities of just pure privately owned, maybe VC backed. There's a handful of those. The, 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 that, that's, the, that's the reality that we're facing. So if you want to do something at scale that transforms your business overnight, you are looking at some of the more established players. And then it comes about, you know, it, I liken it to one of our games, Agaria, right? You're, 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 you're one of the kind of mid-level, um, you know, spheres. And it's who can who can kind of capture the other one and, and where does it make sense to capture? And I think to Chris's point, we're all talking to one another. I don't think there's a I don't think that's at all uh, a secret. If it is a secret, then okay, we've broken that barrier down. I think I met Chris first time when he was at Kabam. So, you know, that's that's it's we're always talking to one another. Um and, and I think to, to Chris's point, there's a lot of things that might on the outside not make sense but you don't know how long some of these conversations have been going on for and actually i think the time now where people are going oh it might make sense for us to kind of partner up and i certainly think if you are a privately owned business you know sub five billion dollars at this moment in time you're in play and i think that's that's just the reality of it um and there's a few of those so you can figure it out maybe Michael, i've said too think? much because this is about public market stuff <laughs> So I've got to be careful. <laughs> yeah, I, I totally agree with Saad and, and also to put a little bit of perspective. So we, we kind of look at um, what happened on the deal side over the last years. And 2020, we saw about $30 billion worth of deals. 2021 uh, was like an 85. 
So massive increase. And, and for this year, we're predicting 150. So continuous rapid consolidation. And uh, probably if you're looking back, like in 2021, uh, January might have been the peak of the whole consolidation with both the Zynga and the Activision deal happening w- within the same month and kind of pretty much creating as much deal value as all of last year together within a single month. Um, um, see a massive amount of activity a- across the board. So there's a bunch of different factors. A lot of the public companies drop a lot. Um, like in average gaming stocks, maybe drop 50%, some more, some less. And, um, you know, what's happening, maybe a companies like Playtica, where some shareholders, you, you know, wish they get closer to the price where they IPO'd a while ago and getting to an exit where, you know, once they announced it, it was already a bump. And if there's a deal, typically there's additional premium that's allowing large investors to get back and get to a price much, much faster versus building it over many, many years. At the same time, a lot of those public companies we're talking to, they're also, you know, under a lot of pressure to grow. IDF, IDFA has been a major issue, as Chris mentioned, on the mobile side. Um, and, you know, they're trying to justify to Wall Street, how can they improve their price and how to grow, how to diversify. And that's, you know, the easiest way is for them to acquire or merge with other companies. So we see a lot of that happening, being sold a medium premium. And and also what's what, what I found, found interesting over the last year, kind of also the consolidation of the PC console space, which to some extent was driven by Embracer kind of starting it at the high volume. And, you know, like several years ago, there were tons of highly profitable um founder-owned companies out there and nobody was really interested in acquiring them and Embracer to some extent started that, rolling them up with a very unique structure. And, um, you know, that got other people to, to, to buy into it and become very aggressive on the M&A side, on the PC console side as well. So, so some of the observations. Right. And Michael, when you think about the distribution of deals, I mean, certainly I think the overall volume of the market has increased, especially as we move to bigger transactions. But if you were to speculate in terms of any trends that you're seeing or in, in terms of the future market, in terms of the whether it's overall number of deals or whether the distribution shifts to, you know, where, where we have fewer sort of mid-tier size deals, any thoughts on that or anything that you're seeing in the data? So see still a tremendous amount of activity in kind of mid-sized deals, I would say below 100 million. Um, There's a lot of talk about some of the large public companies, what's what's going to happen to them, and that's purely speculative, like similar to the size of Playtica. Um, So I think it's going to be, you know, if you look at the dollar value, kind of one Activision makes up a lot of smaller deals, same with Zynga. But I think it's continued to see it balance both a bunch of public deals and but also a lot of lot of private deals. If you look at the overall deal value last year, we also had a lot of IPOs and SPAC deals. And with a public market um, in the sector dropping so much, the you know the IPO market more or less dried up and SPAC deals, most of them have not performed well. Um, Discord is the one that's rumored to to try to make an IPO happen. Uh, kind of that's one of our, on the short list potentially to go public. Others are also having discussions, but definitely expect less kind of IPO spec deals this year than last year. And um, yeah, but but MA continue to be very healthy. Okay, Chris. Yeah, I think the interesting thing here for me is to um, on the public to public side. I think there's just kind of a collective wait and see uh, to see if the the Activision uh, Microsoft deal will pass regulatory scrutiny, because I think the last thing that other public companies want to do is go through similar exercises and then be in a queue um, of unknowns. Right. They've spent all that capital and cycle and breakup fees and uh, opportunity costs to to line something up without certainty as to whether uh, whether these things will be passed. I think the other question is whether if if, uh, if the Microsoft deal passes, whether that creates a higher bar for future similarly sized deals, because then the, you know, the consolidation will be that much more evident. 
So this will be a real watershed moment to me uh, in terms of whether or not this deal gets approval and what that knock-on effect will have on the industry. Um, you know, I think uh, to what Saad and Michael were saying about you know uh, deals on the smaller scale or lower end, you know, it really goes back to what Saad says, which is whether acquirers see any any uh, uh, appreciable value coming out of those things. Because in light of IDFA, I don't know that there are a lot of acquirers that are necessarily having at the top of their thesis that we need more capacity or we need more titles, um, because that associates you know a uh, uh, risk with, with it uh, because as we know every day that passes in our industry it's harder to launch and scale new games um so i think many of us as an industry uh, as as industry peers are thinking about the mantra fewer bigger better um which is interesting because that was the mantra that we had at zynga um and then you know the the risk of that is that if you're fewer bigger better don't deliver then you are penalized tomorrow for what you were giving credit for yesterday. And what I mean by that is like for a long time when we were doing the M&A, that was kind of the the, the, the darling storyline of Wall Street. And they loved that because we were deploying capital in an accretive way that was bringing you know, terminal value to the company more so than the cash sitting on the books. But then the narrative shifted, which is, well, why can't you also launch new games? Uh, even though we had called our new game pipeline quite appreciably from the time that Frank joined to the time that I left, so there's kind of a double-edged sword there, right, that you're working with. And the industry uh, and, and uh, public markets can be very fickle in determining which of those levers they want to pull when they're criticizing you or praising you. And you can never really know ahead of time what that is. Um, so I, I don't think, you know, I think the lower end stuff is going to, uh, sorry, lower scale stuff is going to come out naturally because the subscale companies are, are feeling the, the IDFA pressure, right? They've already had limited budgets. They're not getting more funding. Uh, to spend marketing dollars less efficiently, and they're probably going to be looking for homes where they can, you know, be part of a larger uh, uh, um, ecosystem. But I don't know that those ecosystems are looking uh, as as aggressively. Like I, I would be a betting person in saying that Sod's cadence of M and A within the same time frame may not be the same tomorrow as it was yesterday. Uh, it's also not surprising. JK, I was reflecting on when we first had our our conversation last year about uh, with you, me and Cress about uh, talking about our feelings about Embracer and Stillfront. And you fast forward one year and you see what their stock has done, right? And that quantity over quality uh, approach has has borne out as we predicted it would with you, which was not, not going to be positive. And so um, there aren't really many vectors left um, for growth other than the few that exist that are scaled private companies. And I think we can probably count them on two hands. And of the ones that are actionable, you could probably remove half of those fingers. So it's 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 really not um, you know not not a fertile ground for uh, for the consolidators that, that are at the top. But the things that I get excited about are talking about what happens to Epic, uh, what happens to Steam. Um, does Nintendo uh, change its stripes and really start getting aggressive? Like where does Ubisoft fall out as it continues to lag behind its AAA competitors? These are the kind of moves that I'm sure in these boardrooms, if we were flies on the wall. And Michael may be in some of those already that that you know are really interesting discussions to be had, and for us to do our own kind of wargaming and chessboarding around what we think is happening in those companies. Um, Steam has not been talked about for a very very long time as a company that is of interest. I know many of us in the industry feel like there should be interesting things around them. I know Gabe has historically not wanted to entertain these things, but given the path that Microsoft is going about being the virtuous app store and the content fortress or walled garden, whatever you want to call them. Um, and wanting to re recapture some of its cross-platform um, glory, you know, it, and plus with Steam being based in, in Washington near Microsoft, that marriage to me makes more sense than ever. If it's not them, then it's Epic and Steam. Um, you, you know, where, where does Unity play in all this? App Lovin' has been unusually quiet from a cadence perspective, and I think it goes to what I said earlier about the uncertainty around what it, what payback it's going to get for its studio acquisitions, even with its own privileged position of having so much access to data. So I think there's a collective pause happening right now for a number of different reasons uh, we just talked about, but none the least of which is to see this regulatory outcome for the Microsoft deal. And that will then help help create more clarity for the ecosystem around what can and can't be done around M&A. Great. Yeah, that's um, very interesting topics. Uh, maybe we could actually even dig into that a little little deeper in terms of some of those some of those fingers and so like if you guys were to think about some of the targets that that you guys think are potentially the most attractive out there i know before um a number of names have, have come up but if, if you guys were to think about some of the more attractive names and 
what you think might potentially happen. Um, what do you, what, what do you guys think? And maybe Michael, we could start with you and, and feel free to share whatever confidential information that <laughs> you're, you're seeing, Michael. Yeah, I mean, um, on the public, uh, just repeating some rumors that I heard, I mean, on the public market side, EA, obviously, following the Activision deal, as a lot of people wrote about what's going to happen with them, and um, they were very late to the M&A space, and um, um, happy they went forward with a glue and play demic deal following Codemasters, so just to get some additional scales, but you know, that's one of a obviously potential large target. And, and Chris mentioned Ubisoft. That's an obvious one in, in Europe out of out of the public ones. Okay. Saad, who do you think? Who are you looking at? If you if you guys could acquire somebody <laughs> I'm gonna be acquire? very careful. I'm gonna be very, very careful. Um you know, there's there's two ways I can play it, which is to name everybody so that nobody would have a clue about who for. <laughs> Or, or just stay quiet. I mean, I think, I, I think. Look, the, the reality is, for some uh, a, a company like Miniclip, we are a developer publisher first, right? We are, are not a kind of. This is going to sound super disparaging, but it's not meant to be. It's not going to be a pejorative at all. We're not like a kind of holding company that is then acquiring studios and trying to consolidate as one. Like we, we, we happen to be a company that had a lot of success ourselves, and then saw an opportunity to acquire and, and, and add to that, right? So when when we think about consolidation and we think about other studios, we think about where is it that we are weaker in terms of a category perspective or where can we consolidate more more strengths of the things that we currently have, um, you know, a good foothold in. And I think when I look at it, there's some obvious categories that we aren't super strong in. Um, and so I think about companies like, you know, tactile entertainment and what Asbjorn and the guys there are doing is is, is phenomenal. We all, everyone's nodding. Everyone knows that they're doing a good job there. I'm, I haven't spoken to him, so I don't think I'm in recently. I should say, so I don't think I'm, I'm hurting anybody there. I mentioned this last time, but first touch what Charlie and the guys are doing in, in in that in that arena. I think there's those are two companies in particular that I think are are, are, are very good and and you know would any acquirer would be interested in in terms of the kind of biggest stuff. I really, really couldn't comment, but I could say that we're talking to everybody. We're having conversations with with a lot of people. And I think what I find interesting, actually, and, and I've said this to our own team for a while, we've been in the mix for a lot of for a lot of deals in the past, and we've just been very disciplined on where we thought it wasn't. You know, we, we felt like things were a bit overpriced or just beyond what we wanted to do. And we took a very disciplined approach. We were always kind of there. And now that those market, the, the public markets have cooled off a little bit and, and the firepower isn't necessarily as, as, as it once was for some of them, you know, we the, the door has opened for us because we can keep, keep kept that kind of discipline there. And there are a lot of opportunities for us to kind of look at companies which, you know, would have been a much more competitive process with some of the other acquirers out there. So... I think you will see, I think to Chris's point, you'll see us look at some big deals. We'll be in the mix for those big deals and we'll hopefully be able to, to close some of them. Um, but I think they're going to be fewer and further between than, than what it was in the past. Now that, that said, I say fewer and far between. I think that's just because the meaningfulness of some of these deals are going to be more transformative to our own business. Um, and, and with that comes a lot of, you know, content and other studios that might make sense for us to try and figure out what to do with them. But um, on the flip side of that, actually, it's going to sound very, <laughs> it's going to sound hypocritical of what I've just said. The flip side of that, I do see a pathway in the next six, seven months where we make a few big moves and we do it quite quickly. Because I think if we're going to do it, it's going to be consolidated very fast or we're going to move very quickly. And I think there's like maybe a few a few deals that we'll do that will, will 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 suddenly change the way in which we're viewed in the market. I think at this point, a lot of people are looking for relevance, and I think the way to be relevant at the in the market at this moment in time, to what Chris has said before, and I think what we're seeing in the in the business at the moment is launching new games is more difficult than it ever has been. So, working with companies who have got established 
franchise and established IP and 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 collect you know kind of the collective kind of umbrella of that and and adding the synergies around that makes a lot of sense. So I think we're going to see a lot of that. So can I name more names? I probably can't. I've signed a lot of NDAs, Joe. That's like, <laughs> yeah. Chris, what about you? Can you can you speak to some of your fingers? Man, uh, you know, I think it really comes down to, you know, if you're looking at it through the lens of what's possible, then the chessboard can be really big. And if you're looking at it through the lens of what's likely or actionable, right. um, that becomes a, a, a really narrowing filter because obviously there's a lot of factors that go into determining actionability, whether a company is at a stage where it wants to entertain um, these, these discussions given where it is in the life cycle, whether it's already a controlled company, whether it's public versus private, where it's, where it's based geographically. Um, how much appeal that company has. Let's take a great example. I think we all can say that one of the most admired companies of our you know, recent uh, uh, phase of mobile is Playrix. And you know, it, it, having said that, you would think that Playrix on paper would be a very actionable company, either from an acquisition perspective uh, on either side of the equation or to go public. But then you look at the details of how the company is constructed and many Western companies are just afraid to take that on Right. Um, you know, you have a concentration of wealth and equity sitting in two people's hands and a distributed network of studios that are in a, a you know, in a part of the world that has historically been, uh, you know, challenging to operate if you're not from there. Um, and, and so that context here is everything, right? And I mentioned some of the companies before about Valve and Epic and Steam and Unity and IronSource and AppLove. And, and there's so much actionability that's pos that, that is, is in theory possible. But when these conversations that Saad refers to actually happen in the background, either directly or and or through liaisons like Michael, um, you know, things get filtered out, um, you know, quite, quite quickly. So, uh, you know, the, the chessboard to me is, is as big as our imagination, but also as narrow as our, as our, as our practical limitations are. And so I think if I had to make one prediction, I know you didn't ask, but maybe I'll force the force this panel to, to make a prediction in terms of the next, a company that would be part of a next deal. I think the one that makes the most sense, obviously, is Playtica. Um, they've signaled strategic, uh, you know, strategic uh, uh, review. Um, that I'm sure they're ginning up a process, and they will probably go like like uh, like Zynga did very quickly. Um, and and because there's already a blueprint in place for multiples and and uh, and precedent transaction and things of that nature for a very similar company, um, that seems to be the one that will that, that will happen. And then from there. You know, depending on the regulatory landscape, um, you know, somebody like Ubisoft or Square Enix or some of those, you know, below the top three, um, you know, may be interesting to Sony and Microsoft. I think the Bungie deal, what to me was not a reaction at all to the Activision deal. I think that thing was going for a while. We know how long Japanese processes take. But it was interesting to me that it ended up in Sony's hands, given the relationship, historical relationship that Microsoft had. So I think Sony has to step up and make some bigger moves if it wants to compete on subscriptions and, and, you know, proprietary content. Um, and then the wild card for me is always Nintendo. You know, do they finally buy Niantic? Do they finally do something out of their comfort zone? Um, or do they just stick to their knitting? You know, they're always a conundrum to me uh, every year and what you think they're going to do. And then they do something completely opposite. So. Well, Chris, to challenge the panel, I mean, I just, to just challenge you on this is like, well, the, the bigger question is who do Playtika go to? Who are the acquirers? That's the bigger question for me. Yeah, i I would say I'll defer to Michael on this one to be more pragmatic about it. I would just I'll just throw something somewhat nonsensical out there was if you can merge Playtika uh, with SciPlay, um, and you know you you merge businesses that are not averse to that category. I know that the market may um, may not give them credit, but if they were able to further diversify their portfolios, especially SciPlay, I've been a little bit um, surprised and I would say even disappointed at their lack of ability to execute diversification because I think that would have served them well like it did Playtica. But depending on how Playtica, you know, they, they define their casual or non-casino business quite liberally because it includes things like bingo and other things that are kind of straddled both ways. But I think they say that they're a pretty balanced company like 50-50, 60-40, something like that. But somebody like SciPlay that needs more scale, um, that knows that market very well and could could easily leverage a more scaled public company presence to, to more easily diversify and buy those those independent opportunities kind of below the line that we've been talking about. That seems like an interesting, um, you know, public to public deal that won't get a lot of scrutiny because there's not a lot of competition um, that is going to, you know, reject 
this deal because social casino is a really tough business to be in. But if you're doing it well at scale, it can be very profitable. So I, that one to me seems like a, an interesting one that may not make sense culturally, but may make sense on paper. Frank, yeah. good answer. Yeah. <clears throat> on the Playtica side, it's 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 not that trivial because you know the market cap is like eight eight billion ish or something, so they're not small, and not a lot of players would be able to do it. So the 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 um, and the Chinese one traditionally shy away from social casinos, so you know they are kind of out of the picture. Who could easily do something, and it, it could be a potential merger with some others, or it could be. Um, App Lovin. App Lovin's another one, by the way. I totally forgot to throw yeah. that in there, right? App Especially if be, you want to... It could be also a private equity deal where a large private equity firm essentially takes them private because Platica has been you know, highly profitable, very successful in this segment. They have been private uh, for many years after the, the Caesar Interactive kind of um, sale to, to, to Giant, which never closed. Um, so I think looking at the uh, universe like uh, Carly, KKR, or maybe uh, uh, um, some of those PE firms team up to make that deal happen. I can see that as well. Yeah, yeah none of those PE firms okay. actually have investments or, or portfolio companies in gaming already that they would just you know marshal that asset right to be the the Trojan horse to help them with that. Yeah, yeah, and it seems it seems like Playtica just based upon the impact of IDFA deprecation to its business. Um, I, I agree with you, Chris. Like a company like AppLovin that may have uh, enough data to be able to help offset some of that stuff might be a, 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 an interesting way to to potentially address some of that stuff. Yeah, look, Iron Source as well. Iron Source and Playtica yeah. share a lot of uh, real estate, right, in terms of geography. So. You know, from a culture fit perspective, um, there's a lot of there's a lot of overlap there already, much more so than with AppLovin. Right. Um, cool. And maybe like the one other topic, it'd be great to hear your thoughts about is that is we've seen um, kind of like acquisitions. Um, you know, whether you think there's going to be more or less, we we have seen recently a few carve outs. So Scopely's acquisition of GSN Games from Sony Pictures. Uh, Tencent re recently acquired Inflexion uh, from Improbable. Um, and can you guys speak to this kind of opportunity? Do you think we see more of this? Um, and Chris, you also mentioned uh, King. Or, yeah. And so you guys mentioned King. Is, is that a possibility of getting carved out? Like, what, what do you guys think of this general type of play? And what are some of the potential opportunities if you, if you think there are any in, in this area? Yeah, I mean, I think there's, again, it's like, like I said before, everything's in play, um, you know, that all conversations, I think, will be had. But I, I, Chris made a really good point about actionability, right? So it's more around, yeah. you know, what is what is the overall vision and motivation of these companies doing what they're doing, right? Like, you know, with, with King, I, I think it, and I don't know, there's no, <laughs> I, I don't want to put any speculation around any of this, right? But, <laughs> well, you know, with King, it just doesn't seem to... To, to fit with the overall narrative of the Microsoft Activision deal, right? So then you kind yeah. of think if somebody came and approached with the right price and if, if if you could make the case of the management team of King and they were supportive of it, then I think, you know, Microsoft, if that deal closes, would listen or Activision, whoever the stakeholders are around that room, would listen to that kind of um, to the potential of a deal around that. But it, it, I think what we really need to understand is is what is the vision, what is the strategy, and what is it these companies are going after, and what are these management teams trying to achieve? I think, you know, with Microsoft, we talked about that earlier. We kind of have an idea around that, what that is. With you know, with the, with with the brothers at you know Playrix, we kind of have an idea of what they're kind of trying to do, but they're not really trying to you know globally dominate. Um, they they kind of having Fun is a, a disparaging, again, uh, view. They're doing a great job of what they're doing, but we know what they're kind of trying to do. And so it really comes down to where there's a carve-out opportunity and where there is an asset that makes sense for someone else versus it's sitting with the current kind of owner. That's where it comes where it comes down to. And I think, you know, we've talked about app-loving, we've talked about Playtica. I think it's very interesting. I haven't really done this work, but Michael, it would be interesting to see what Playtica would be as a social casino business versus their casual games business, and how what would happen if you actually separated that, and would there be, you know, would that be more valuable as a separate business versus 
you know, what it is today. As Chris says, there are sensitivities around the social casino, part of that business versus, you know, some of the other great assets. I mean, what they've done with Wooga, for instance, and, and the Super Tree guys, phenomenal job. Is that something that could be more valuable outside of, you know, the current wrapper of Playtika versus, you know, a deal um, on their own? And I think if I was looking at that, there is a possibility of that. And I think there's other there's other assets as well that some of the other public companies have. I mean, it, it, you could see it happening if, if there was a certain acquirer of EA, would glue and the playdemic deal make sense um, to that acquirer? Um, somebody that you know, another company we don't talk about. We, you know, Chris mentioned some of the Japanese players, but you know, Nexon uh, are out there too. You know, there's 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 plenty of um, plenty of assets that they have, which could be interesting uh, as well for for that. It's similarly, Netmarble, right? And you know, Jam City. What do they want to do with, with that kind of thing? So. Yes, is the answer. There are those potentials, <laughs> but it really does come down to the actionability and what is it that these these teams and these these companies really want, and what are they trying to achieve, and do those assets make sense in the hands of somebody else? And you know, when you actually look at that, it's probably very few opportunities there um, in in terms of being able to carve those out uh, easily. Michael, can you speak to that? Are, are, are there any specific deals that, that you're seeing? Uh, and uh, what would be some of the, from a me, you know, mechanical perspective or from an execution perspective, are there additional difficulties with carve-outs relative to you know, typical type of M&A transaction? Yeah, I mean, generally I see two trends. One, one trend in general is more diversification, which says don't spin out different entities, be more diverse, which... which you see, we take two in Zynga and a lot of other deals. On the other hand, be more focused too. And one deal was pretty interesting is um, the ESL sale, the PIF um, by MTG, and they pretty much had an esports business and a gaming business. And the gaming business has been doing great, highly profitable. The esports business never reached profitability and, and also had some challenges during COVID. And that's one example where I would say it worked out really well. And not sure if you follow it. I mean, the, the acquisition price was very attractive we, we, together with FaceApp, I think, at 1.5 billion. And the MTG shareholders thought it was a phenomenal deal. Not sure if you saw the day the deal was announced, the MTG stock jumped 50% because the shareholder thought, okay, it's great. We don't have this, um, we don't need to fund the esports business anymore. And getting such a large amount of money for it was phenomenal. So that's probably one of the ones that just happened very recently. And um, Saad's idea of kind of looking at Playtika as two different pieces, a casual games business and social casino business, I think is is a great idea because it, it also expands the universe a lot. Some of the Chinese one would probably be very interested in a casual games business. That might be an opportunity to merge with some of the other social, social casino business as Chris alluded to. So I think that could be a great strategy. Chris, yeah, I think I think on the carve out topic, you know, again, context being everything, um, you know, carve outs usually happen when a company is not doing well or it's changed strategic direction, right? It's never going to you're never going to see carve outs happening at a time when things are going well across the board. Um, and so having to know that context helps try and pinpoint per, per, perhaps potential uh, uh, areas of opportunity where that would happen. I think the one that comes to mind because they've already had a history of, of doing one transaction is AT&T. Um, with their gaming assets, right? So, you know, Playdemic was the smaller of the two, um, but they have the Warner Brothers games division that, you know, has long been speculated about what, what's going to happen there as AT&T is a very monstrous company. You know, War Warner Brothers games looks to AT&T like King looks to Microsoft, right, uh, in, in broad strokes. Um, but the premium that they could get could help pay down at least some incremental part of their debt. I don't know, Michael, if it really makes a dent in their overall debt uh, uh, load, but at least... Optically, it, it shows their shareholders that they're shedding non-core assets. Um, the only other thing I can come up with is if our friends here in Europe that have historically been buyers are now going to be sellers as they're being pressured to focus, as, as Assad and Michael alluded to, right? So, so our still front and embracer looking at offloading assets that they acquired because they're realizing that they're not getting the benefit of their, uh, of their strategy or their tactics associated with, 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 with M&A. 
Um, beyond that, you know, I think we, we all know that the GSN games was in play in various derivations for a, quite a long time and went through multiple bankers. Um, so that's been a multi-year process. Um, I think Scopely just probably saw a great opportunity to bring more profitability to its books than it had historically, especially pre, um, you know, pre the Marvel Strike Force deal. Um, so that could have been a bit of financial engineering as well uh, to help them prop themselves up um, relative to where they were on a standalone basis. Um, the improbable stuff, I mean, you, you, you know, tech carve-outs are, are you know, much easier to do because tech companies are always kind of evolving themselves and shifting um, their, their, their focus on what they're investing in. And so something that's a tools-based solution um, could easily be acquired. Although by the same token, I know that Rovio has tried for many, many years and failed uh, to sell their, their kind of game streaming business, um, you know, which you would think had some kind of resonance with somebody at a tech or tools level. Um, but you know, alas, not, nothing has happened there. So to me, I don't really, as I look at the landscape, I don't look at a lot of companies that are in a strategic bind or are shifting focus away from this category other than the few that I mentioned. Um, so it's just more of a moment in time thing as to what, you know, whether carve-outs happen or not, it's not, doesn't seem to be like a systemic um, strategy. It seems to be more of like an opportunistic tactic. Got it. And maybe just to wrap up this conversation, thanks so much for your time, guys. Um, maybe we could kind of continue down the thread that Chris started us off with, which is predictions. If you can make one prediction in terms of, you know, to the extent that you can with uh, given NDAs and confidentiality, but if you could speak to one prediction, maybe starting with you, Saad, uh, to end this conversation, what do you think will happen? Uh, and maybe I can start. I'll I'll I'll, I'll do a <laughs> I'll do a non non gaming content. First. That's amazing. <laughs> so I I would my prediction is that Unity will acquire Photon because they need a good netcode solution. But go go ahead, Saad. Well, that's a good one. Yeah, they probably should do that. Um, <laughs> it'd be very helpful if they did actually. Um, yeah. Okay. I would. I, I don't kill me for this but <laughs> i can't be too specific so what i would say is i i certainly believe that there will definitely be some public companies going private in the next 12 months like that's gonna happen um here in europe i think i think i think okay i'm gonna put a number to it so it's not just what i want you are one obviously one's gonna happen right so i will i think three at least three of them will go private in the next 12 months. So put a hard number on that. And as, as Chris says, there's a handful. So there's no, that's not many, that's not, you can kind of figure that out. Michael? Yeah, I mean, we talked a lot about m and and some of the challenges the public market um, companies have, but one thing we haven't talked about, and that's what a prediction is gonna be, is kind of funding into private companies. And what we see is a tremendous amount of money flowing into of dedicated gaming funds. Um, I think Galaxy announced the big one. I think there's more to come. Bitgraph, there's several uh, a, a large funds. Andreessen is, has a big gaming fund about to do another one. Hero just announced one. And about another five to 10 funds I heard of, they're raising money. So there's a lot of money flowing into the space. So one of the prediction is that Funding into private companies in 2022 will even exceed 2021. And just like in Q4 last year, we saw 200 rounds, 200 financings into private companies. And that's super exciting to me because all this money is kind of funding the creation of the next unicorns, the next highly successful companies who might figure out the IDFA challenge, who might come up with amazing cross-platform games. Um, that eventually will lead into M&A in two or three years later. So that's kind of uh, my prediction. Don't you have to have Web3 on the deck to unlock that <laughs> funding? Isn't that I even... was just going to say, Web I'm so proud of this group for going over an hour. <laughs> yeah. it, it, it took an hour, right? It took an hour, yeah. <laughs> I'm so proud of this group for going over an hour and not going down that rabbit hole. So that's I, I, probably the only games podcast that has done this recently. And Chris, do you have any other final prediction to close us out? I mean, yeah, so the, the, we, we, we talked about the Platika one. That, that seems like a no-brainer to, to predict. So moving on beyond that, um, 
If I look at uh, you know just putting one lens on, which is scaled private companies, and I'll exclude my own, um, you know the interesting ones that are out there. Um, there's Moon Active, um, there's Scopely, um, there's Wildlife, and there's uh, Dream Games. Yeah. So you know the reason why I exclude mine, other than for obvious you know. Uh, <laughs> Confidential reasons, you know, we're, we're much earlier in our life cycle, haven't yet taken outside funding where a lot of these other companies are more mature and have taken a tremendous amount of funding. Um, and that usually, you know, when you get that many people involved in your cap table, um, the more voices you have, uh, you know, at the table asking for uh, outcomes to happen. Um, you know, obviously, you, you hope that you have long viewed investors in there, but you never know. Um, and again, these are scaled players that can bring a lot to the table in this age of consolidation, but are probably small enough that will more easily withstand the kind of scrutiny um, that Microsoft's going to go after because it's nowhere near that size, uh, but but it really brings a, a lot of heft and scale. So those are my, outside of Platika, those are my four uh, dark horses. Uh, I think maybe the other really crazy one would be if Google acquired IronSource um, to kind of shore up. Oh. Um, more of its ad business, you know, in, in, in response in part to what Microsoft did over the holidays and buying a DSP um, that wasn't really talked about quite a lot, to be honest. But, um, you know, I think those kinds of companies, maybe Apple gets into that mix as well, um, you know, on, on the mobile ad network side. Um, yeah, that's those are kind of the extent of my my crystal ball prognostications. All right, great. Well, gentlemen, thank you so much for your time. I definitely learned a lot. And for our audience, we will catch you next time. Thanks, everybody. Bye.